In our last episode of the Secret of a Successful Life series, we finished volume one of this series. And today uh, we have a special guest speaker, Dr. Rick Cherok from Ozark Christian College, who will be joining us in a few moments, who will uh, share some things that he has learned in his expertise that pertain to this uh, subject that I've been writing about in this historical fiction series. And so, Dr. Cherak, I appreciate you um, agreeing to be on this podcast. In the novel series, The Secret of a Successful Life series, I've hinted at some subjects that took place in the American churches during the early 1900s. And so, Dr. Cherak, since you teach in the field of church history, I'd like to ask you to add some more detail to the condition of many churches in the nation in that time era. So, first question, from your understanding, what kind of issues did the churches of that time encounter, Dr. Cherok? Well, let me, uh, let me begin by thanking you for inviting me to uh, participate in this podcast. Very welcome. Uh, and uh, what, I would, uh, what I would suggest to you, I mean, nothing really develops in a vacuum all by itself. I mean, there's always things that precede it and, you know, bring things about. And you almost have to look back to the pre-Civil War period where the church was uh, evangelism and the, the Second Great Awakening. All these things were happening, and there was a, a sense of positiveness and progress and great things happening. And then comes the Civil War. And when the Civil War hits... And everybody looked at the, the events and the activities surrounding the Civil War. That positive, optimistic side of things kind of turned negative. I mean, you look at the war and the, you know, the, uh, the carnage and the bloodshed and just everything that happened with it. And people, people tended to look at things in a, in a, a less positive way. And for many people in the period after the Civil War, they began to say, you know, we, we trusted religion to make, you know, Christianity specifically, to make a great society, to make our world better, to make, make things in a, this, this positive, wonderful way, but it has failed. And so you had a number of people who began to look at other venues or other, other avenues of, of how we can improve our world, how we can make uh, our world better. And, and the areas they began to look at largely were science, and education, hmm. science and education. And so in many ways, as they began to look at these areas, they would, uh, they would take things like the Bible and uh, Christianity, and they began to, to question, you know, well, scientifically, can we trust what Genesis says? You know, science may tell us a different story, or do we do we trust uh, you know the accounts of, of of the different writers of Scripture? Uh, if we study it, maybe we can find that there were other people, and they began to question various aspects. And so you have the development of uh, of higher criticism, the ideas of higher criticism in biblical study. And such things as biblical higher criticism brought about a, a sense of we don't trust Scripture as it is. We don't trust the Bible, and uh, therefore we don't totally trust Christianity. And so as you head into this period around the turn of the century, 
you're starting to see a uh, uh, well you're, it's more than starting to see we are are largely feeling the repercussions of a uh, educational system uh, and I mean higher education not necessarily you know elementary education or something like that but higher education where they begin to question the validity of scripture and traditional Christianity and you even had many many of the more the, the more extreme liberal ideas who were saying you know we have got to we've got to change Christianity or it's going to it's going to be destroyed and when they say change Christianity they literally meant we have to totally revamp the ideas of what Christianity is because if not then it won't survive and so if we change it then maybe it'll survive. That was the that was the uh, play that they often used, and so you had people that began to question hmm. uh, what uh, what roles should Christianity play in our life, and uh, what really is the truth of Scripture, and uh, can we trust the Bible? Can we trust God? Can we trust these things? And I, I, I like to tell my students that what what traditional Christianity had always seen religion as was religion was God's effort to reach humanity. God sent the apostles and the prophets and he sent his son and he even gave us his word, the Bible, to try to reach us, to bring us to himself. But when we had this shift in Christianity, where the liberals began to be powerful, the liberals shifted this whole idea where religion was no longer seen as God's effort to reach humanity. It was humanity's effort to find or to define God. And so they didn't trust Scripture anymore because Scripture was just a human invention to many of their thoughts. And they they began to say, you know, whoa, the, the uh, oh the, the the other religions and the other books of scripture that, that are considered scriptural and other religious ideas, they're all equivalent because all they are is human efforts to explain God. Well, so it, and so there was a dramatic shift in our understanding of Christianity, leaving God out of the picture. Anyway, largely so, yes, largely so. Hmm. God wasn't the one. I mean, many of them would say they believe that there's a God. But their belief was based on their feeling. And, uh, and a guy like Friedrich Schleiermacher, who was a German theologian who introduced the, the new liberal ideas, Schleiermacher says, you know, uh, re, our, our ideas of religion are a feeling of dependence upon the infinite. A feeling of dependence upon the infinite. So wow. it's a feeling. It's simply a feeling. Don't worry about scripture. Don't worry about traditional ideas. Don't worry about even actions. You know, what is moral or immoral or any of these things. It's all based on a feeling of dependence. So it's an interesting, interesting dynamic of how things uh, shifted during this time. And that came back to the churches, too. And as, as well, this this reached initially into uh, the areas of, of higher academic society. You know, you had the the academia, the, the world of academics that uh, seemed to uh, uh, be enamored with this. But these are the areas where ministers were being trained and, and ministers were being prepared. And as these um, these academics 
pushed these ideas forward, more and more of the people who, who went into ministry began to accept these ideas. And so they would say, you know, is there literally a devil? Well, I don't believe in the devil. Is there literally a, literally a hell? I don't believe in hell. Uh, uh, is, does God demand that we, uh, you know, follow things like baptism or, or uh, a total commitment or things like this? Well, that's not really necessary. And uh, and you might even show somebody and say, but look at, look at what Scripture says. And they would say, well, that's nice, but that's just that writer's opinion. You see, it's not mm. divine. It's not, it's not the Word of God. It's not, uh, you know, God's message to humanity. This is just a human's effort to try to explain or understand God. Wow. So I know some of the people who have read my manuscripts have been surprised that some of these things actually happened, you know, just a, a hundred years oh, ago. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, you know, of course, you and I, we, we both believe in God's Word is inspired and, and uh-huh. every bit is true. But that was being taught a hundred years ago. And, and, and still is. And it's still is. Repackaged, perhaps, uh, in different uh-huh. ways. But, well, let's move to the next question, if that's okay. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, well, in the last podcast, I uh, shared the, the last chapter of the first volume of this series. And our main character is a a little girl named Clara who lost her parents to the great flu in 1918. And as she grew into a young woman, she was encouraged. uh, She wanted to go to Bible college. And this is just mentioned that that she'll be doing that. And the upcoming uh, volumes will tell about that. But anyway, she was encouraged not to attend a Bible school in Des Moines, Iowa, because it had become liberal. However, there were other conservative schools being started at that time. So what can you tell us about the state of the Christian college situation in those days? Certainly. There, there were a... Um... There were, it's kind of an interesting situation because there were a number of conservative Bible colleges, you know, colleges that were specifically, I I don't want to say just Bible colleges in the sense of, you know, the only thing we do is train ministers, but they were Christian-oriented colleges. I mean, there were certainly Bible colleges, but also colleges that were of a Christian nature that had been always been very conservative. Most of these colleges even were uh, the, the presidents of these institutions had been um, uh, clergymen, you know. But as we move into the 20th century, there's, a, again, that shift that begins to take place. Modern educators started to say, let's not just put clergymen in leadership. Let's put educators Let's put people who are uh, prone to understand education. And so we're going to put, you know, PhDs and people with intelligence and people that have educational backgrounds in the leadership of these schools. And initially, you know, the clergy leadership often tried to maintain the Christian element of the schools. But when they start putting educators in as presidents and leaders and trustees in these uh, these Christian-oriented schools, many of them seem to draw further and further away from the uh, uh, the Christian background that they had always had. And so, so what's going to happen, though, is some of these more conservative 
Christian schools seem to feel like they were second-rate schools, like they, they, they really weren't, uh, um, you know, highly regarded. And so often what they're going to do is they're going to take some of their stellar students, some of their very, very best, and they're going to try to direct them toward some of the, uh, the, the higher-regarded schools, uh, you know, uh, Harvards and Yales and, and, you know, places that are very highly respected. And, and there's a number of them. And I'm not just picking on Harvard or Yale or any other school for that matter. I mean, but a number of schools. And they go off to these, these, uh, these, these highly-regarded schools and in many instances, these students that were sent there are influenced by the liberalism that was permeating these, these uh, premier schools. And then they, the, uh, initially when they were sent away, the idea was to send them away, get prestigious degrees, bring them back, and let them be leader, you know, have, have bring, a, bring a sense of, a, of accomplishment to our smaller schools. And, and even though we're second rate, maybe with these you know, advanced degrees and these great thinkers, we can raise our own prominence and importance as institutions. So they would uh, send these students off, they'd get influenced by liberalism, they'd come back, and then they would influence the school in liberalism. Wow. Um, somebody said once, and, uh, and I'm, you know, I, I don't mean to make this a blanket statement, but in a large way it's true, somebody said, uh, liberals generally don't create colleges, they steal colleges. Because mm. what seemed to happen again and again and again is you had these theologically conservative schools and you get somebody in there who's a liberal and they argue we've got to have academic freedom and we need to bring more liberals in. And, and it seemed that quite often more and more theologically liberal people came in but then as the liberals took control, it wasn't very often that they allowed for more conservatives to come into these schools. They just made the, the, the liberal element just grew and grew and grew until the conservative part of it was gone. And uh, so some of these schools simply became, uh, you know, advocates of, of liberalism. I mean, they wow. just became liberal theological schools. And, uh, and, and these schools put less of an emphasis on evangelism and missions and, 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 and thing, you know, biblical study and more of an emphasis, emphasis on, um, uh, you know, cultural concerns and things like that. I, I mean, there was just less of a concern about the biblical mandate. They that lost the purpose the of the church. Yeah. Mm -hmm. hmm. Well, Dr. Cherrick, thank you very much for sharing your expertise. And is there anything else you'd like to add before we close this interview? Well, I, you know, I can only only say that uh, you know, as this transition uh, took place uh, during these years, the early 1900s, this was a a Christian-wide type of thing. I mean, you, you had. I mean, the, the great event was kind of in 1925, the Scopes Monkey Trial took place in Dayton, Tennessee. But I mean, you're going to have a lot of religious groups that are going to struggle with this, this combat between conservatism and liberalism. It was not, you know, just one group or another group. I mean, it, it seemed like many of them. And some 
the whole segment, the, the whole, the whole uh, uh, denomination itself kind of went to the liberal side. Others maintained a strong conservative element, uh, and, and you had some divisions that took place, but this was a... Uh, this was certainly something that had an impact uh, that is even felt very much today within the Christian world. Wow. Well, Dr. Cherrick, thank you very much for giving welcome. us some uh, information. And, and I would hope that in the future, as I share more of these uh, podcasts, uh, moving on in right up into the 1950s and that's as far as I have it written right now. But I hope to come up to modern times, and I would hope that we could uh, have more interviews. So thank you very much, and we appreciate you being here today. Thank you so much. Take care, man. You bet. Well, it was a joy to have Dr. Rick Cherok uh, be our guest speaker today on this podcast. Uh, we will be starting the second volume in this series of a secret of a successful life series uh, there will be a different narrator telling the story um, introducing more characters um, this segment will focus on the years of 1917 to 1928 uh, we'll have uh, young clara preparing to go to bible college in ohio and other issues that will develop there there will be some examples of other issues of churches and missionaries and what they were facing in those times, as well as other issues in that era. And so we invite you to listen to the upcoming podcasts in the Secret of a Successful Life series, Volume 2. Thank you for joining us.